people sharing ideas with other people is what we need to continue doing so we can all grow together. I'm Dr. Chris Seta, and I'm shining a light on the innovators of our profession. Welcome to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. On today's show, my guest is Dr. Jamie Reynolds. We often feature orthodontists who have invented their own products on this show. However, there are plenty of innovators in the orthodontic specialty who haven't necessarily created their own bracket or appliance. Today, I'm thrilled to shine a light on Dr. Jamie Reynolds, an orthodontist who is always moving forwards. As you will hear on today's episode, Jamie became involved with Ormco's product development group and a speaker for Damon Braces. Jamie went on to co-create OrthoFi, a patient financing solution which allows orthodontists to outsource their collections and insurance billing. Most recently, Jamie co-founded Orthodontic Partners, a private equity-backed group practice also known as an Orthodontic Service Organization, or OSO. Orthodontic Partners is intended to be by orthodontists for orthodontists, focusing on high-quality patient care while preserving the doctor's autonomy. Jamie and his team at Orthodontic Partners have put together an impressive roster of some of the nation's top orthodontic specialists. Well, welcome to the podcast. How are you today, Jamie? I'm good, sir. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Why don't you tell everyone where we're at? We are... uh Tucked in the corner uh, near the bar at the Orthopreneur Summit in Denver. That's right. Uh, I mean, the best place for a podcast, I think. Absolutely. So yeah, if we need to refresh it better, yeah. yeah. <laughs> bar and bathroom, very close. That's right. We're good. Why don't you tell everyone what we're drinking? Uh, we're drinking some local IPAs. Should be the podcast drink of choice. I think so. Yeah. That are whiskey. Was this the Avery IPA? This is the Avery IPA. Yeah. Well, we've got a couple of whiskeys in us already. So this is going to be. It sounds like it at least. This is going to be a good <laughs> podcast. Here we go. So what's your favorite part of uh, Orthopreneur so far? Glenn and Doug and Mike do such an amazing job with this meeting. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, from the color guard and the acapella group that they had sing the national anthem at the beginning. Those guys were amazing. Yeah. And um, I think it just set a really unique tone. And then um, the caliber of people that come to the meeting, both to speak, the vendors and then the participants, you know, it's just such an amazing group of people. It kind of feels like We've lifted the curtain a little bit on the post-COVID stuff. It feels very therapeutic to be out here talking to people and seeing people and have energy, um, have a travel and all that stuff. I think it's been really great. Oh, it's been incredible. I mean, just uh, the caliber of speakers. And uh, I mentioned to you before, during your talk, I was welling up for sure. And then Stu Frost, uh, mm-hmm. the, the tears were streaming down. And then when Anil spoke, I mean, it was, uh, I actually just don't have the words for it. I don't know that you could ever describe what just happened in this lecture, um, you know, to anyone who wasn't there watching it. I think we saw an incredibly unique and special both person and message. Mm-hmm. I'm not a crier and I was bawling like crazy. <laughs> I don't think my wife would not believe it, but, um, you know, I was choked up for a while and I think it just, it was really touching and, and Neil, he's one of my best friends and, um, was just awestruck, you know, anyone who saw it, I think is probably a little bit different after having watched him it was really special. I spoke to him afterwards and gave him a big hug and of course told him I loved him. And he asked me like, was I real enough? I'm like, <laughs> I know. It's like, how more real can you get? <laughs> Anyone that watched that uh, would think that that was the most ridiculous question ever, you know? Yeah. I, I will tell you that it's very difficult to measure any lecturing message that you give, like how it lands. Mm-hmm. Um, it all sounds good in your head uh, when you're prepping it, you know? It's hard to know, like, especially the times when you either try to be funny or get into some emotional stuff, like mm-hmm. whether that communicates with the people who are in paying attention. Yeah. Um, it's, it is hard to know. It, something so emotional as what Anil just did, I mean, he must have some like decompression. You know, we were just sitting, having a drink with him before we watched the podcast and the lecture was a couple hours ago, you know, so yeah. it's, it's really um, fresh, but what an amazing, uh, what an amazing thing. Yeah. yeah, it really was. 
So Jamie, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. You've been an inspiration to me for quite some time. And uh, little known fact, I found out we got married on the same private island in Aruba, <laughs> which is, is correct, sort of crazy. Yeah. The Renaissance in yeah. Aranjastad, Aruba, downtown. Uh, your wedding was a little before mine. You got married to your beautiful wife, Dawn. A few more gray hairs than you, bro. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm catching up. <laughs> you yeah. wear them well. I highly recommend you can go to the private island. It's part of a hotel, mm -hmm. the Renaissance Hotel, as you know. And um, if you haven't been to Aruba or stayed there, if you're from Michigan, then you're looking for some place with predictable weather in the winter. And what they're known for is they have these like flamingos on the island that are just sort of like walking around, hanging out. So in all our wedding photos, we have these like flamingos. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. We took some of the kids there recently and they, they like to bite. So you get to the point where you take oh, your... Oh, really? Yeah. The, <laughs> the flamingos are on the adults only side and there's an adults only and a kid's side. And um, the kids yeah. all want to go see the flamingos and they do nip. So um, a couple of my kids got a little too close to the flamingos. Oh, and, uh, dang. <laughs> I don't know about this, but like a a lot of our family members they give us like flamingo stuff i guess like that's become a thing because of you know we, we have married. not gotten the flamingo stuff but i hope anyone that is related to me that's listening doesn't get any ideas uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway so t tell us about growing up what was it like growing up in michigan you know i grew up in lake orion michigan i went to school there k through 12 you know at the time lake orion was home to the largest uh, manufacturing plant under one roof in the world oh is that right general motors facility where they mm -hmm. built cars and then you know right next door to lake orion is pontiac you know mm -hmm. um, with, you oh, know, yeah. a manufacturing area not very far from flint so most of the people uh, we were very blue collar we had sort of a bigger school we were the smallest of the highest class high school like for okay. football and stuff and we were kind of a mix between farming and automotive industrial stuff people working on the line and whatnot really okay. blue collar and it was great you know i went to public school you know my mom was a substitute teacher my dad worked for the phone company every year or two we'd get to go to disney if we were lucky yeah and, um it was a great way to grow up great people you know i'm really grateful for the friends and experiences i had growing up in lake orion and um you know it's changed now it's bigger and um you know a lot of stuff about us changes suburban sprawl has yeah. made the area quite a bit different. So I know you went to the university of Michigan and I think you're like captain of the volleyball team. Cause you're what, like six, three, six, four. Uh, I'm six. I'm probably just under six, one, but my forehead is really big, which makes me appear taller <laughs> than I am. And back in the day I used to be able to jump, you know, jumping does not age gracefully. So, um, <laughs> you know, I can't jump so much anymore, but, um, yeah, I played volleyball there and, um, really enjoyed it. I played, football, basketball, and track growing up in high school. And my cousin played volleyball. They didn't have men's volleyball in the state of Michigan, or I would have liked to try. I always idolized her. So a friend of mine talked me into walking on to tryouts my junior year in college. Hmm. Coach must have saw something in me that nobody else did, but I was the last guy. They normally take 17 guys on the volleyball team, but they made an exception and made me the 18th one. So if you ever email me, my email is jamesbreynolds 18 I don't think I've ever told anyone that, but that's, um, you know, just a dumb little thing. So that's kind of been like a little motivator for me, you know, like, you know, they weren't going to give me a chance, but they did. I'm relatively determined person. So I wanted to make sure that I worked as hard as I could to yeah. capitalize on that. And, and, and now that was, was D one, right? I imagine there's only a handful of D one scholarship volleyball teams after there was some legislation called title nine, which mm -hmm. is a ratio of men's to women's scholarships. Right. Mm -hmm. And so most of the um, volleyball programs outside of like UCLA and whatnot got the hatchet. And so there's actually a really, really robust club team. So you don't get paid a scholarship, but you play the same teams, Florida State, Arizona, Oklahoma, full Big Ten schedule. So awesome. You just do it um, a little bit less stylishly than you would if you had the university paying for your travel and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So tell me, how'd you get involved in dentistry or interested in dentistry for that matter? You know, I didn't know many doctors growing up. The idea that I would actually be in any position where someone would call me doctor when I was younger was not at all on my radar. And so uh, a girl on the track team that was a year younger than me, her dad was our dentist. And um, I went to college to be a um, athletic trainer. So I wanted to work for a pro oh, football wow. team growing up. I was really into sports. And that's what I thought I wanted to be. The, the head trainer for the Lions, his daughter was on the track team too. And I just thought that was cool. And I wanted to be a good enough athlete to play in college, but I wasn't good enough at basketball to make it there and um, maybe a little school for track, but I want to go to bigger school. But anyway, um, after a couple of years training, I was like, maybe didn't offer me exactly what I was looking for. So I, I started thinking about medical school or dental school because I had an experience where 
I got to watch a knee being scoped by uh, one of the guys in the hockey team, and I just was thought it was super cool. So mm. got interested in healthcare, and somehow or another, this dentist found out that I was thinking about going to medical school, and he calls me, and he says, uh, he asked if he could talk with me, and I was you know, surprised that he would even really know who I was, much less want to talk to me. And he, he said, I don't think you should go to orthopedic surgery. I think you should go to dental school and you should become an orthodontist. And that was totally off my radar at the time. Huh. I'm like, I don't want to be a dentist. I don't want to be an yeah. orthodontist. And then he gave me a job description. I was like, okay, you're, you know, maybe I do, you know? So then I changed my major and started taking the curriculum or whatever. And I decided I would study for the DAT before the MCAT. Here we are. The rest is history, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so dental school at University of Michigan, and I believe your ortho program was at Detroit Mercy, right? Detroit Mercy, yeah. Now that's a super small program, I believe, right? Like what is it, like two residents per year? Or? There were five okay. um, my year. It was small, but not the smallest, um, mm-hmm. not the biggest. Very eclectic. The chair, Rich and Valmy Kolbersch, they, um, they did a great job exposing us to a bunch of different stuff. Mm-hmm. So we had... Zero, zero, zero. We had zero, zero torque. We had some straight wire with three MAPCs. We had a speed segment. We had a full blown military grade Roth segment. And so looking back, like it gave me a, a pretty good amount of diversity to sort of be able to be more open to a wider variety of treatment approaches. Yeah. Um, so I'm grateful for those guys for giving me that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really nice people, the Colbrishes. When we come back, in just a moment, how Jamie quickly finds himself in private practice, how he talks his way into the Ormco Insiders Group, and how Jamie teams up with Dr. Jeff Kozlowski. Stay with us. You're listening to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. Kind support for this podcast comes from Digital Orthodontics Hub. Dr. Ruz Kosravi and the DOH team help you embrace the new age of orthodontics. Digital Orthodontics Hub provides CE training on the integration of digital technologies into your practice, including 3D printing. Their services range from online courses, one-on-one implementation strategy, and in-person workshops. And as you know, None of this works if your team isn't on board. DOH will help you to start 3D printing for retainers, in-office aligners, and digital indirect bonding. To learn more, visit www.orthodontics.io. Welcome back to our conversation with Dr. Jamie Reynolds. So when you finished your program, did you immediately go into private practice at that point? Yeah, I um, I graduated on Friday and I was at work on Monday. <laughs> um, I bank account was empty, credit cards were maxed. You know, I would have loved yeah. to have been like, "Hey, let's go to Europe and like travel around for whatever," but it was on tilt. Yeah. And so I graduated on Friday, went to work on Monday, and the the guy um, I give him crap for Larry Splane that I work for, he went on vacation. So <laughs> my first week in the office, he was so on vacation, nice and uh, yeah, I was. And so I went from seeing like forty or fifty patients total in our patient population to seeing forty patients in the morning, you yeah. know, on the first day in practice. So as everyone knows, um, you know, there's a transition. I, I remember getting home in the evening, and I just couldn't make any more decisions. You know, like. Just don't ask me to make another decision today, oh, please. Yeah. Like my, my brain is fried. And that, I, that I still feel that way time. sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, you know, you talk to young docs and it's like, just, it's like a muscle. You've got to exercise it mm-hmm. and it takes time to like, I don't think one of the things that orthodontists really talk about a lot or that other people would appreciate is just how many decisions that a busy practitioner makes in a day. It's like, crazy. It's unbelievable. You know, you think about there's 15 decisions in each individual patient not to mention all the patients you have to deal with. And, you know, there's always the questions from team, mom and this and that, mm -hmm. you know, it definitely takes some time to build the ability to handle that. Yeah. You know, so how'd you meet Dr. Larry Spillane? He had a really great practice in Novi, Michigan, and uh, I was in residency at the time and he had asked a couple of the, you know, reps, one guy from GAC and one from 3M. And he said, you know, is there anybody out there that would fit my practice? And a couple of guys gave him, my name, uh, we went out to the Great Lakes Association meeting and residency that was out in Palm Springs. Mm-hmm. 
we played golf together and came home and had dinner together. And, you know, I guess I was two dates and I was in. <laughs> there you go. And you guys went from like basically, I think, one office location to four, right? Over the course of maybe, what, 20 years or so? Yeah. So we were together in one office for a while. And then um, as I got my feet underneath us, we had enough business for like one and a half doctors. Okay. You know? I was like, look, I don't think we're maximizing our capabilities here. And I was young and had loans and I'm like, I don't mind working. So the economy kind of tanked and we looked around and a buddy of mine from college was a dentist in a different area of town. And he liked the results we were getting from our Damon system stuff. And he's like, there's a guy that's retiring. Nobody will buy his practice. He hasn't started a patient in two years. He's got like 40 patients in the thing, but he's got old instruments and stuff. And it's right across the street from me. I'll send you some patients. And so I think we bought it for forty thousand dollars or thirty five thousand dollars or something what? and uh, yeah and it had you know an old x-ray machine and you know instruments and yeah you know and it had a accounts receivable about 50 grand so it just had mm-hmm. to show up there and treat the patients and mm-hmm. and then try to drum up some business so um we did that way for many years and the two practices were kind of a bit far apart about an hour from each other and so we, we looked at building a de novo a startup in uh, in kind of in between closer to where i live mm-hmm. and then at the same time niati patel park who's a friend i had a an office that was um in an area that was kind of close to one of mine but i never looked at expanding there because i didn't want to compete with her because she's a friend and um she had sold her practice to a young resident who backed out at the last minute and she'd already made plans to move closer to home with their family she bought a house in new jersey practice and um and so she's like did you ever think about I practice in Troy. And I said, no, <laughs> I don't want to compete with you. And she said, well, would you be interested because of blah, blah, blah. And then, um, so we wound up going from two to four practices in about two weeks. And that was a great education in the lack of sophistication of our systems in the office. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're in the office every day, or if there's two offices, you're in there a couple times a week, there's a lot of feel, you know, that goes on in the way that you, you manage things. Like you're close enough where you can kind of feel what's going on. Mm-hmm. Where once you get into more pra- uh, practices in that, then it's hard to kind of feel it anymore because sometimes you might only be in once every other week or whatever. Right. And so your systems and your people become a lot more important. So if you're uh, any number of the amazing orthos who are here, Cole Johnson, right? Like if mm-hmm. you're if you're him and you're in your office and doing your thing and like, you know, you can kind of feel what's going on. But like if you're only there every once in a while, then you need to have and you can't like clone a coal, you know, for sure. So then you have to have other good people on your team or doctors or, or both and systems where things operate the same everywhere. Mm-hmm. So otherwise it gets really confusing and out of coordination. So anyway, it took us a while to straighten all that out. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, it's, a, you know, as you change locations and the number, it, it gives you an education on just how good your systems are for sure. So that's really how you sort of got to know and learn about like, Hey, we need some systems in place here. Right. Yeah, the first location, um, the second one we did was, you know, the first like eye opener. Mm-hmm. Let's say you got a practice and you're only open maybe two or three days a week in an office and you buy another office that's reasonably close. So now you and your whole team are like same team, just different office, mm-hmm. right? That's pretty easy because everybody's like can see all the things that you're missing. So it gets fixed quickly. If you have like, a new office and you're kind of growing new people from scratch, you know, an hour away from kind of your flagship, it takes longer for you to figure out all the things that you're missing because, you know, you don't touch everything. And, sure. and in a busy practice as a doctor, your team insulates you from a lot of stuff. So you, mm-hmm. it just kind of runs whether you know how to do it or not. I made a joke yesterday about um, how if I went on on Saturday and had to fix my kid's broken bracket or I wouldn't know where anything is. I, I don't know if I could turn on my x-ray machine if, if you ask me. Or if it even needs to be turned on, I don't know. I, you know? I, I couldn't either. <laughs> yeah. So things like that, you know, it, it gets exposed um, over time. And so sometimes you have these holes that you don't even know are there that don't get figured out for like 12 or 18 months until you something bad happens to, mm-hmm. you know, make you look like an idiot and then you fix it. But. <laughs> well, at a certain point, you guys started taking on associates. I know I met Jeffrey Hines this weekend. Yep. Um, really great, was, talented was, guy. Was he the first one that joined your group? Or? <clears throat> he wasn't. So um, Larry had an associate before me. And then um, she left to do her own practice. Um, I think wanted something a little bit slower pace. And then Larry and I worked together for maybe 10 years. And then um, first associate was a, a really, really bright and awesome young woman named Andrea Dopp. Okay. 
I made the mistake of allowing my friend Andrew Appel to ask her out. <laughs> he <laughs> asked permission. <laughs> yeah, he asked permission first. We like, you know, like I'm her dad or something. But, um, <laughs> well, that was nice of him. I said, take your best shot, Andrew. You know, <laughs> <laughs> now you have Andrew and Andrea Appel, and they just welcome beautiful young child. And um, and Andrea moved out to um, Philadelphia to uh, work in their practice, and we miss her, but we're all really happy for them. Awesome. So I think currently you have three associates. Is that right? We do, yeah. We have um, Leah Vernacchia, Jen Bonamici, and uh, Lizzie Biggs. And um, we're really, really happy. You know, they're young, but they're uh, all really, really sharp, really, really driven, hardworking uh, young ladies. And, um, you know, we're proud to have them in the office. Yeah, really sharp group. Now, I think a lot of people associate you with Ormco. So, like, at what point did you get involved with the Insiders group? We started using Damon a couple of years after. We kind of did the Pepsi challenge between the GAC innovation yeah. and um and the damon two and it was pretty close there for a while but we went out to damon forum and and really were blown away with the educational piece and you know dwight damon whatever you think about passive self-ligation whether you think it's hocus pocus or not like he is an amazing orthodontist mm. so i looked at his cases in his lecture and i said i can't do that you know, but I want to, how do I learn how to do that? So mm-hmm. we went with them more from an educational component than, than not. And so one time Alan Bagden was in town and he was lecturing and we went out to dinner with the Ormco people because we we're sort of the bigger users of Damon in the area. And we we're, I guess, the host family, if you will. And I said to the regional manager, I said, you guys should have some sort of meeting where you get a bunch of people that are similar at a meeting at one time. And, um, you know, you can, work on product development and blah, blah, blah. And he goes, Oh yeah, we have one of those. It's called the insiders. And I said, well, how do you, how do we get in? You know? And they said, well, blah, blah, blah. It's a secret thing and you know, whatever. And so we kind of were thorns in their side probably for a while. And then we, um, we got asked actually the insiders meeting is this weekend up in Sonoma. And so oh, is I it? have a 8 a.m. flight tomorrow up to San Francisco to go join the remainder of that. meeting. Oh, there you go. It's a great meeting, really, really great group. And so a lot of the product development stuff comes out of there. So one of my, um, mentors and idols, a guy named Bob Smith, Jeff Kozlowski. And uh, those guys were doing work on the early insignia custom braces stuff. And, um, you know, I just wanted any excuse to work with those guys. So when Jeff did the first, it used to be only twin. And then Jeff did the first passive self-ligation sort of Damon insignia clinical trial. Mm-hmm. And we're, you know, beer drinking buddies that like to stay up too late and solve the world problems. And so he <laughs> called me out of the clinical trial and he said, Hey, you wouldn't believe the results that we're getting. Are you interested? We're coming out of the Ormco trial and doing, you know, one out in offices. I said, sure, that'd be amazing. And I was young and was very much in disbelief that they would be okay with me contributing. <laughs> and so it's custom braces. They're all indirect bonded. Right. And so, um, the first bit we got two cases, right. And like the guy who was running at the time, Jim Sickles, who's a dear friend and um, a really great guy. I think he had to pull some strings to like allow me to do it. Right. And so we put, we indirect bonded or whatever. And, um, you know, we put the 014 wires in and we see him back in eight weeks. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, Larry, my partner didn't realize that it was a custom clinical trial, you know? Yeah. And, um, I come over and he like repoed 12 brackets, right? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, Oh shit. And, uh, and so I was like, called Jim Sickles up. I'm like, Jim, Whatever second thoughts you had about um, putting me in this clinical trial, you're probably right because guess what just happened, you know? So yeah. um, oh. we put him back in the jigs and rebound him yeah. or whatever, but I felt like a big idiot on like my first big boy um, uh, experience. With, yeah, you know? with, the, with the group. Oh, man. So now like you and Kaz sort of uh, must have really hit it off because you guys sort of hit the circuit together, right? Yeah. So Kaz like my big brother and we met at the same, actually an insiders meeting and we both joined, I think, at the same time. And, um, you know, me and him and Oliver Gillis, Anthony Harwell were always a couple of the guys, always the last people at the bar, you know, mm-hmm. solving problems. And, um, I know nothing about that, Jake. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're on the list now too. So, um, we had always talked, like, I never felt like I had anything that was really good enough to lecture about. And so I wasn't particularly interested in doing lecturing cause I didn't really feel like I was good enough to do anything. And then when we started doing the insignia stuff, you know, Jeff's practice at the time was small and ours was reasonably big and the passive self-ligating product for insignia was new. So we quickly became the most experienced user mm-hmm. in, in the product. And so I started getting asked to speak. And what I basically did was like showed everybody all the mistakes that I made, you mm-hmm. know, so don't do this, don't do that. Here's how I fixed it. This worked good. That didn't, you know, and so 
it turns out that if you do something first and you, you make a bunch of dumb mistakes and then tell people about it, it makes you look smarter than you are somehow. <laughs> so we did some of that. And so, you know, Jeff has always been really good about advocating for me and helping me. And, you know, I'm not a, a natural born public speaker. I get a lot of anxiety and nerves. Um, I was really nervous for this meeting. But you were so um, smooth. Yeah, I was joking with somebody. Thank you. I go to the Orange Theory and they have you wear this wristband that tells your heart rate, you know, yeah. and like if it's over 83% of your max, that's the orange zone, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I joke that if I had that armband on, I would have been in the orange zone the whole lecture. <laughs> I was standing there. I just couldn't get my heart to like beat a little more slowly, you know, the whole time, you know, which is a little unusual, but um, it's a lot of work. Like Ormco got some speaker coaching for us back in the day and I was so scared to go because it was... Stu and John Graham and Bob Smith and Steve Tracy, amazing man. Rest in peace, Steve. We miss you. And um, the CEO of Ormco at the time and um, Mark Coriel and a couple of other people and like me when I was pretty young and all these speakers that I've been watching that I built my career around, you know, mm -hmm. we were getting coaching together and it was horrifying <laughs> for, for me. But it was really great because I watched some people who I never really had kind of looked critically at way they were speaking because I idolize them so much. Like Bob Smith, for example, I was talking about how nervous I get and he's like, yeah, I've got a trick, you know, to help. And I was like, you get nervous? And he's like, yeah, I get nervous all the time. I was like, I never ever would have known that you got nervous. And he's like, yeah. So that was like kind of empowering to me that my hero actually got nervous. You yeah. Know? And so if you ever see me speak, I always have a water bottle with a twist top on it. This is from Bob. Sometimes if you're, you know, in front of public speaking, and you lose your train of thought, it can like crash in on you real quickly. And it's hard to find that next word. Right. And you're like, everyone's looking at me and you have like mini panic attack. So what Bob would do, is he'd have a water bottle with a twist top, not a glass for two reasons. One, it's quick to drink out of the glass. And two, if you put ice in it, sometimes it's easy if you're like nervous to kind of choke on the ice a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> Makes sense. Known that before, ask me how I know, right? Yeah. And then the twist top, it gives you something to do and it makes it so that people are watching you take a drink of water, but it gives you five seconds to like get it together. Mm -hmm. So if I'm ever speaking the half the time I drink, it's because I'm thirsty and half the time it's cause like I'm starting to stress out and I need a hot second. Yeah. Collect your thoughts. Keep it together. Yeah. So I had many water breaks yesterday during the talk, but I, um, I'm going to steal that one. So let's talk about orthophy. So like a, where did this idea come about? But like, secondly, how did you guys take it from a concept and make it an actual company? Yeah. So, um, to tag onto that story from Insignia before, when Kaz and I would lecture, we would break for coffee or whoever would ask the first question in the lecture. And it was always the same question every single time. You know, hey, this customization is great. Faster treatment time is great. How do you get people to pay for it? Right. Mm -hmm. And we didn't have a good answer. And it kept coming up over and over again. I was like, Kaz, we got to try to figure this out. So I called one of my buddies who um, lives here in Denver. His name's John Lloyd, really, really good friend of mine. It was a setter on the volleyball team. And uh, he's got an MBA in finance from Ivy League and really bright guy. So we started kicking some questions around him. And then the AAO was in um, Hawaii and John's a good friend. So we were actually traveling. Our families were traveling together. And we got a group of doctors together out there in Hawaii. Me, John Graham, Dave Paquette, Sia Day, I believe, and John sitting on the beach in Hawaii. We're just kicking ideas around about a bunch of us had gone on the Wilkodonics course right before that too. And we're like, well, if we're doing this accelerated stuff, man, we're really going to be have to kind of reimagine how to do patient financing. And um, we really realized that it was a crappy idea. So we came back a little discouraged. And then, um, you know, and I'd asked my office manager, like, hey, I, I thought we were all automated with credit cards and whatnot. Why are you spending so much time on collections? And she's like, well, I don't do much with the patients, but I do it's all insurance work. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of like a light bulb thing. So then I called my buddy Dave, who was also a guy on the volleyball team, and he was working a couple startup jobs and he was just really looking for his shot, you know? Mm -hmm. This is Dave Turnin, right? Dave Turnin, yeah. yeah. So he quit his job and, you know, rode his bike to a startup commune and sat at a picnic table with his laptop and was employee number one. And then we had, you know, some really great initial partners, some of which I mentioned. Jeff Pascal came up with the idea for the payment slider, drinking beers. I think that's where most of the good ideas I take credit for come from is over <laughs> cocktails. But, uh, you know, we got a, a bunch of really bright orthodontists together that are all good enough friends or have enough mutual respect for each other so we could have a very meritocratic discussion on pretty much everything. So mm -hmm. we were trying to figure out something new and we got a lot of people 
ping-ponging ideas around best idea wins, right? And so we yeah. did that, and then it started to a little bit at a time grow, and the slider concept was sort of novel. I'm not aware of another company that did anything like that that succeeded, you know? So I think there's been a lot that have maybe duplicated what we've done, at least in a remedial way. Anyway, Dave, you know, should get all the credit here because the original idea we had was a bad one, and it would have failed, and Dave came what in. What was that? Well, we wanted to be kind of like care credit for orthodontists specifically. And we had no concept of what that actually was or how many billions of dollars it takes to do something like care credit. And um, we actually just needed to make a better way for the doctor to manage the paper and then put some finance principles in. So teach doctors how to, you know, like if you go to a bank, like they don't just write one type of mortgage, you know, they write a bunch of them mm -hmm. and they have diversity in their portfolio. You know, some of them are a little more risky and they charge more interest on know, to hedge that. And some of them are a little less, they charge a little less and sure, but their portfolio of lending is diverse. So we try to take what is basically remedial business and finance principles in any other space <laughs> <laughs> and apply like first grade, uh, knowledge into the orthodontic space, which is really mind bending for all of us. Cause we don't have any of that training and we don't think that way. And over time, we've just gotten a lot of really bright people that have been really determined that have built it into company and a product that me, I know, and, and a lot of other people are extraordinarily proud of. Yeah. It's not perfect and we'll keep getting better, but it's grown from Dave and the picnic table to 350 employees and they've yeah. got a nice 35,000 square foot headquarters here in Denver. Which is incredible. Yeah. Talk to us about some of the early problems you guys had with OrthoFi. We had it all. Buggy software with the first patient processed in our office in Rochester and the guys had literally coded the payment processing software the night before. Mm. And they were all like in the other room, the software developers. And when the lady went to swipe her card, they were like, is it going to work? Is it going to work? You know? And then it went through <laughs> oh and they're like, you know, and the high fives and yeah. you know, everybody went to the bar that night. You know, they're all proud. Melissa, our treatment coordinator did the first charge over there. So kudos to Melissa for getting it done and, um, bugs, updates, you know, software is, I mean, even Apple smartest and biggest company in the world has tons of bugs in their stuff, yeah. you know, so you can imagine, you don't have those resources. You're working with one, two, three developers. And then we wildly underestimated what a quagmire of quicksand, whatever you want to call it, like insurance is. It's amazingly complex. So some of the naivety there, if we knew what it was, we wouldn't have tried to tackle it, but you know, we did and we've gotten it now so that it works finally and um, reliably, but it's a nice moat around because I, I don't know that anybody would be able to recreate it. Yeah. And there's some insurance checkers out there that are automated, but there's do you have insurance? Yes or no. And then there's a benefits calculation, which is like, as your dentist use a Panorex or put in a band and loop and they've eaten up some of the insurance, you know, so you want to provide the patient with the exact money that they get in the benefit. And that's actually really complicated. And there's so many different insurance companies and it's just a huge mess. And so with, through a combination of years of learning and some AI stuff that we've built. Um, we finally have it so that it works and we have a 2.0 kind of insurance coming out at the beginning of the year that we're proud of. And so that was just a really humongous thing, you know, and insurance companies are just terrible to work with. They'll give you one stupid example. So there's a company in Wyoming. I don't know which one I think it was Delta of Wyoming or somebody insurance companies, you know, I think like to hold your money in their bank accounts, not yours. Right. And so they kind of, well, of course, I mean, that's sort of the concept, right? Right. You know, they always have the tall buildings like they say. And so a lot of doctors, you know, get distracted and they don't follow up with the insurance and they have like rules where once you haven't gotten it in a certain amount of time, then it times out and you're not eligible for it anymore, which mm. seems kind of like a BS yeah. rule. You know, it's like those gift cards that used to expire if you didn't use them. And uh, anyway, this uh, company in Wyoming, we would call and then we would knock through 30 or 40 claims on the phone call. And so they made a rule because of us that you can only deal with three separate claims on each individual call. So then <laughs> what resulted in, you know, like for the AI stuff and still with a lot of companies, Orthofy just has to do like what you do. They get someone on the phone at the insurance and it takes time to connect and be able to jump through all the hoops. Yeah. So then they literally made a rule to prevent us from doing our work and would make them do three claims and hang up and have to call back and wait on hold and uh, then do three uh, more and call back and wait on hold and three more, you know, which to me is like an absolutely amazing thing that somebody would actually in a real business would make that rule. But yeah, that's just some of the stuff, you know, and, and we know a lot more about the type of people. Dave has built an incredible culture. One of the things we learned along the way was kind of what you're looking for. And there's some people that work there for longer than probably they should have, you know, or some people we wouldn't have hired if we had to do it all over again, but you know, it's um, chugging along. When we come back in just a moment, 
How Jamie starts a private equity-backed group practice and begins to assemble a supergroup of orthodontists. Stay with us. You're listening to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. Support for this podcast also comes from OrthoBuddy. One of the most difficult challenges facing orthodontists is having their patients maintain good oral hygiene. As we all know, ineffective removal of plaque leads to decalcification, gingivitis, or even decay. OrthoBuddy is a reimagined toothbrush for braces created by orthodontist Dr. Tom Spinoza. Like a large proxy brush, the 360-degree bristle design allows the brush to remove plaque more effectively. OrthoBuddy simultaneously cleans around and in between the brackets up to the gum line. OrthoBuddy toothbrushes are proudly made in the USA with eco-friendly birchwood handles. To learn more about OrthoBuddy or to schedule a lunch and learn, visit ortho-buddy.com. And we're back to our conversation with Dr. Jamie Reynolds. Jamie, as you're taking a sip here, I want to talk about your latest venture. So I interviewed David Sarver October of 2020, and I just heard the news that he sold his practice. And I heard he sold it to a DSO, and I was floored. And I tried to talk about it on the podcast, and he said, no, this is Jamie's deal. Yeah, got Jamie on to talk about this. But um, talk to us about Orthodox Partners. What's it all about? You know, as OrthoFi grew, they did this cool thing um, that I didn't mention. So Inc. 5000, have you heard of that magazine? Oh, for sure. Yeah, so, you know, it's a business magazine. If Inc. Magazine had like a swimsuit issue for businesses, you know, uh, where they put all the hot businesses in, you know, yeah. that's their 5,000 list. So it's their most popular issue of the year. And so if you're a young startup, like it's a dream to be able to make the 5,000 fastest growing privately held companies list that they have. So you can't apply for a few years. And the first year we applied, we were crossing our fingers to make the list. And we actually came in at number 164 out of 5,000 oh, or out of, out of all of them, I guess. Wow. And the number two fastest growing company in Colorado where it's based. So investors read that list and that generated a lot of attention. At the same time, Smile Doctors had started and they had just hired an investment bank and were making their first transaction from their original investor to the one that holds them today. So they have this big healthcare conference out in San Francisco and our CEO went up there and um, had a lot of interest from investors. Half of them were interested in actually OrthoFi itself and the other half didn't care about OrthoFi at all, but they figured Dave knew who they could talk to from a doctor standpoint to make the next smile doctors. Um, we wound up just doing some market research, just talking to these investor groups to kind of see, and, you know, as OrthoFi grew, we needed investment capital to help it grow. So we had had some partnerships from a debt financing perspective from a private equity group. And uh, my buddy, John, I talked about before had worked there before. So he kind of helped us understand and like translate a lot of the lingo. It's really complicated. And um, we talked to enough people where we realized how much money was entering the space that we knew that consolidation was going to be inevitable, right? This is like four or five years ago. If you're at this meeting now, you know, there's a whole list of groups. It seems like every speaker is part of some group or the other, you know, and um, that's been the buzz around the meeting is groups and OSOs, I think. Yeah. So we kind of saw the writing on the wall with all the interest a little earlier and you know, Kaz and I had big enough practices that we really couldn't sell them to one person the traditional way. And we wanted to educate ourselves on it. And we realized that, you know, small doctors have done a great job, but there were some things that we would maybe do differently. So mm-hmm. we're like, do we either leave this alone, you know, or do we feel like we need to take some of the experience that we've had dealing with some of these investors and building a company with some really great doctors? And were we sort of a little bit uniquely qualified to kind of put our hands on the wheel in this circumstance and try to build a better mousetrap. Mm-hmm. And after a lot of debate, we decided to try and we built an investment thesis and showed it to some of the private equity guys who laughed us all out of the room. <laughs> they said, this isn't going to work. You're crazy. You know, you never get the type of doctors that you're suggesting you will. And, you know, normally you buy like all the little ones and you put your systems in and make them better, not the bigger ones and kind of reverse engineer it. And we finally at the 11th hour found a, investment partner that actually asked us if we had read their investment thesis and they had already hired a CEO and were looking to get in the space and they couldn't find doctors to partner with that they saw eye to eye with. 
So we decided to form Orthodontic Partners, and I'm sure like everybody else out there, David Sarver was on the list of first ones to call, mm-hmm. and he's been a huge idol of mine and causes for a really long time. And um, I had given David some advice some, for some other things for Orthify and whatnot, and um, what I just tried to do is we had spent two years trying to figure this out to get the deal closed, and so there's a lot to learn, and I just tried to advise him. He was already actually looking at another one, and I just said, hey, here, David, here's how you think about this. You know, here's what you should and shouldn't think about, and et cetera. And, you know, you're one of my heroes. I want you to make the decision that's right for you and your family. And then um, his other previous deal started to falter. And he's like, you know, tell me about what you all are doing. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I explained our vision to him. And then, you know, next thing you know, um, he was the first partner we brought on. Right after we closed it, went COVID. And so we were like a little pause for a minute. Yeah. But um, uh, about a year ago, David came on. Yeah, and, you know, what, and what and I feel like you're back. sort of building like it, like in music, it'd be like a freaking supergroup because the names that you guys have on your team are just incredible. This was the vision, like the dream scenario. It remained to be seen whether we actually could be able to coordinate it all, you know. But you know, a lot of the guys, Stuart and David and and Kaz, myself and um, some others, have kind of. We're together for a long time. They were some Orthofy stuff, mm-hmm. and um, we've become really close friends. And so it's really fun to kind of collaborate and kind of get the gang back together from the Orthofy stuff. Yeah. We do it a little differently with those guys, too. So, you know, we've added some other people like Miles Mashiri, who's just what an incredible guy he is. So, and a so gentleman. Bright. Yep. Yeah. Him and his family are amazing people and um, so bright and determined. So we're, we're really thrilled for him. And there's, you know, a couple guys of Minnesota, Chris Carlson and Dr. Dunn and, and Tim Trulove, who's, um, He's the guy that writes the ABO test. So if you're ABO certified, you go yeah, through Tim. And so, I know Tim. you know, I think anybody's like, Hey, if you're going to do a DSO, like you don't care about anything but money. And, and we wanted to prove that we were serious about quality control. Mm-hmm. So, um, Tim's going to help us, you know, build that out as we get a little bit bigger. And we figured that the guy that is in charge of quality for control for the profession is probably sufficient for quality control for us. <laughs> <laughs> really gentleman guy too. And so, you know, Dr. Haskins and some others that are part of them, we have some more that are um, going to join later this year, which I think will be of similar mindset. And so we're just trying to, you know, I, I don't know that anybody really wants consolidation to happen, but it is, you know? Yeah. And so if there ever was any doubt, I think it's solved for this weekend, right? And so yeah. you have everyone from Glenn and Doug Krieger who joined Smile Docs recently, obviously, mm-hmm. and then... um you know, there's Anil and those guys, chorus. of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love Anil to pieces. Us and Southern Orthodontic Partners, and there's my orthos, and there's a bunch other. And, and, you know, you can't get more than a couple feet away without hearing about it out here, you know? So yeah. if there was ever a, is it going to happen or no? Like, I think we know the answer is yes now. We're hopeful that we can build like a more of a bespoke approach that, okay. you know, allows some of the greatness that individual doctors have and express in their authenticity, you know, so uh, as, as good of friends as I am with cause and Stu, like our practices are different, mm-hmm. you know? And so we think that some of the variety in, in the management and the, you know, the artistic part of orthodontics is what the beauty of our profession. Mm-hmm. And so we want to kind of really customize this sort of approach from the clinic and the the culture in each of the offices and then create sort of a, an underlying operating system so we can compare the performance of the offices apples to apples. Mm. So um, we're putting in similar software features. We're using OrthoFi and a phone system and whatnot so that we can, you know, we just understand what's happening in all the business aspects and the clinical aspects. And then we can benchmark across all these great doctors and then, you know, have meetings and we do like um, cocktails and learn Mm -hmm. once a month where, you know, last few weeks ago, Moz got on and, everybody zoomed in and we had a glass of wine and Moz gave a lecture just to us. So it's kind of, you know, if you're ever like walk into a bar and like, you know, Bon Jovi or somebody comes down and plays like to 30 people in the bar, that's kind of, kind of what it felt like to have Moz like lecturing to us. I don't know yeah. when the last time Moz lectured to, you know, 15 or 20 people was <laughs> yeah. probably been a long time. You know, I'm really pleased um, with what we've done so far. We've got great people. And I think if you have great people who are of the similar meritocratic mindset and who are very passionate about maintaining the integrity of their beliefs. It's sort of a recipe for innovation and unexpectedly awesome things coming out of it. That's, that was kind of the secret with Orthofy. So we're hoping we can do it on a bit broader scale. 
so I feel like a lot of the OSOs at this point are going to a little bit more of the standoffish model where in the beginning it was like you have to rebrand under their name and follow their systems. And now it seems more like, okay, we understand that all these restaurants, if you will, if you look at a restaurant model, are going to be a little bit different, but we'll be more there, you know, for on the support end on HR and things like that. But, you know, what sets orthodontic partners apart maybe from some of the other OSOs out there? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that Smile Doctors learned, you know, because at the beginning, it, it is easier to scale a business if things are similar, mm-hmm. right? So if you install, you know, you think Chick-fil-A, right? So like everything's the same everywhere you go yeah, and the it, business scales, right. right? And the quality is great. You know, the thing that presented itself after some time is that, you know, homogenizing the role of the doctor kind of blunts the soul of the practice, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I'm a Damon person and I know the beginning at least they were using Damon and that's totally fine. And that's the way that I practice. But some people would argue with me that that they would never want to practice that way. Sure. And so the, the ability to allow clinicians to practice in a way that makes them happy is really important. You know, and I think doctors are, we're all narcissists and like um, both from a narcissistic perspective and from a, you know, a goodwill perspective and the maintenance of that local brand name is probably important. You know, there's a number of reasons why that might be good. And so keeping the local feel, I think we're all realizing is more of a recipe for success than not. Mm-hmm. And so I think everybody's sort of moving that direction. I like to brag that if we gave another DSO the next 10 picks in the ortho draft, you know, then they still wouldn't be able to repeat some of the qualifications of the people that we have on our team. Mm-hmm. And so I really love both the clinical accomplishments and the leadership ability of the people that we have and the business team. You know, we've got a really great private equity sponsor that really is aligned with our vision. We're trying to build a a lasting company, not one that just sort of sticks some things together and then sells in a couple of years and some people make money, but now you're left with like something that doesn't inspire people and it's not good for the patients. Mm-hmm. We're hoping to build a company that we can be proud of. And if we have to do a more consolidated group thing we want to do it right if you will and so um i don't know that the other ones aren't doing that i can just tell you that to a person in our organization you know we look at the financial return as a consequence rather than a goal mm-hmm. we do the other things you know we want to make a private practice feel from a support organization and a skeleton you know mm-hmm. at least and they had a great thing you know or no it's brian wright i think was talking today where he, he says um you know apple they they aren't allowed to talk about their competition inside the walls of Apple, you know, uh, because jobs believe that it didn't matter what they were doing. We had to maximize what your ability to do is and what everybody else is doing is relevant, you know, but Microsoft also do is talk about Apple. Right. (laughs) And so we've kind of taken that Apple approach, you know, um, we don't really spend a lot of time comparing and contrasting like what we are versus other people, but we do, you know, both from creating orthofy, I would say that is a little unique with us because Kaz and I have actually built a successful company, you know, so we know some of the decisions we made have been influenced by previous mistakes. You know, we have a, a team that I think is really, really dedicated to the vision of keeping the integrity behind the process. So I, I don't know how unique that is, but I'm proud of it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a, a strong feature of, of what we're trying to build. Awesome. So I know it came up today that you're an avid reader and you're always reading books and you always have great recommendations during your talks. Uh, so what's on the list recently? I read nerdy science fiction books on my Kindle while I go to sleep at night. I live in Detroit and, um, you know, home of the lions, the worst franchise in the history of professional sports. Um, my Wolverines have been getting their asses kicked by everybody in town and football for a long time. Pistons, Red Wings, Tigers, it's like the worst sports city in the, in the nation for the moment. <laughs> hey, I'm living in Champa Bay right now. Yeah, yeah. You're, you know, your Rays are playing well. You got my boy Tom Brady from yeah. Michigan Go Blue. <laughs> I was listening to sports radio, and every day I'd show up at the office and I'd be pissed, you know, and because um, it's just they're inflammatory. So, and I have uh, with, with the different locations, I have a, a bit of a drive. And when we were starting Orthofy, the CEO, Dave, was sort of going through books and we were reading them together. So I stopped listening to the sports talk on my way back and forth to work. And I started listening to books on audible. So I'm an avid quote reader, but it's really listening. It's amazing how much sort of sticks over time. If you listen, you know, to books. And I think if you can learn to listen to them a little bit accelerated speed, that's helpful because you can kind of cruise through information pretty quick. I just became really curious about a lot of different stuff and, you know, one of my favorite quotes is by the guy that Lemony Snicket, his name's uh, Daniel Handler. He wrote the 
series of unfortunate events. It's like kids book with Doogie Howser's on Netflix. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. This is a kid's show, but um, he's a kid's author, wrote a lot of books. And he says, uh, all the world's knowledge is contained within books. Read at your own risk. Or you know, all, all the answers to the world's questions are contained within books. Read at your own risk. And I love that because a lot of the things that people do is like they don't have information, but their first response is to bitch about it, you know, yeah. and complain and do whatever. You know, it's like, hey, if you go, the information's out there. Once you read it, now you have it. Now what? Right. Mm -hmm. You can't bitch about it. You actually have to go and do something about it. So Mm. I I love the snark in that quote, but, um, I mean, there's basically a, an endless supply of great books. My, um, never split the difference by Chris Foss is my favorite book that I've ever read personally and professionally. I've read that one. I'll check it out. Yeah. Number one. So it's great on sales. It'll help you in the office. It'll help you in, um, in your life. Go giver. Stuart mentioned today was great. Brian Righteous gave a a lecture on the infinite game, Simon Sinek, which is a great book. That one I've read. Mindset, Carol Dweck, Alice Shrugged is a great fiction book that I think a lot of people oh, should yeah. read. Um, you know, Marcus Aurelius and some of the stoicism hits with me. I'm currently rereading The Obstacle is Away. And so there's a bunch of books I go through and reread from time to time. I probably read Never Split the Difference a couple times a year. Same with The Go-Giver, but um, it's a great book. Well, Jamie, it's been incredible. I'm going to see you tonight at the bar. Maybe we'll come up with the next big idea. That's but uh, all ears. <laughs> It'll have to be yours, though, because I don't have any more time. I'll hand this one off, brother. It's, you can take there, it around. There we go. It's been an honor. Much appreciated. Cheers. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks. Um, you know, you do a great job with this, and I think this is really great. People sharing ideas with other people is what we need to continue doing so we can all grow together. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. If you like the show, please take a second to click subscribe. Also, I'd really appreciate if you could share this show with your friends. Until next time, this is Chris Setta, signing off.